The Irish have played a significant role in my life. It was an Irishman who introduced me to my wife and then married us. And it was an Irishman who introduced me to the prophet Jeremiah when I first entered seminary. We were properly introduced, but uh, I now have to confess that I never found Jeremiah to be the easiest individual to get on with. I think it was more my problem than his. He came from a good family. He came from a respected background. They were people of means. They were landowners. And above all, he came from a line of Israel's priests. He seemed to have been a highly intelligent man. He was also sensitive to the people around him and very observant and aware of what was going on in that part of the world at that time. And the Middle East then was not unlike the Middle East is now. In the 7th century BC, things were politically fluid. The cruel Assyrian Empire, whose uh, capital had been Nineveh, uh, was eroding, leaving a vacuum which was being quickly filled by the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and they, as they grew in power, became an increasing threat to the smaller nations in the region. And it's very clear that the nation of Israel was right in their crosshairs. Jeremiah was able to read the signs of the times. Now, Israel itself, the, the nation of Judah, had not been going through a particularly good time. And for over 50 years, it had suffered from political, religious, and social misrule under a king by the name of Manasseh. Finally, he passed on, and the young king Josiah took his place and launched a reform movement, which was very significant in the life of the people of Israel, the people of God. At the heart of this reform movement was the reform and renewal of the temple. It was spring cleaned of all the non-God trash which had filled it. The facilities were upgraded. They were remodeled. I'm sure that they kept the builders of Jerusalem quite busy for a while. And in a way, the renewal movement was about calling Israel back to obedience to God. And in those days, there was no such thing as the separation of church and state. Both religion and politics were intertwined as closely as they possibly could be. National morale began to rise and was on the up and up. Israel, it seemed, was back on track despite the glowering Babylonians there on the eastern horizon. In a city like Jerusalem, which had been so reanimated, 
it's very likely that a man like Jeremiah with his ability and his background and his connections and his breeding could have had a wonderful career. Yet God had different plans for him. Perhaps these plans were revealed to Jeremiah as he prayed in that refurbished temple. The Lord God was straight with Jeremiah. He didn't sort of beat about the bush and try and be good-mannered. He basically said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Remember that S on the end, to the nations, not just to Israel, but to the nations. His prophecy would have international consequences. And yet he used an excuse, perhaps that he'd already used in other situations, in order to get himself off the hook. Oh Lord, I'm too young for such a job. I know that excuse well. I've used it myself. Not now, I'm too old for the job. But uh, uh, back when I was 18 and uh, a freshly minted young professing Christian, God sort of sidled up to me and said, Q, you ever thought of being ordained? Dug in my heels and said, no. Uh, what good did that do me? And so it was with Jeremiah. The Lord did not let Jeremiah off the hook. And that was what was in our Old Testament reading this morning. Don't make excuses to me, man. I formed you in your mother's womb. Do you think I don't know your capacity because I gave it to you? Besides, I am equipping you to go to whomever I send you. Behold, I have made you in such a way that my word is on your mouth. And he, as it were, touched Jeremiah's mouth. I know you better than you know yourself, and I've got a job for you. Jeremiah is actually just in a long line of God's servants who have tried to get themselves off the hook of obedience by making excuses. Abraham, Moses, right down to men and women of our own time who have tried to wriggle out of God pointing to them and basically saying, I need you. After the deal was done and the dust had settled. In words which we didn't read this morning because they're the immediate words after the end of our reading. We read, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And that was the beginning of this huge, great, long book of prophecy. Even from the outset, right in those first words that came to Jeremiah in chapter 1 of the book. He had hard things to say 
from God to the people of God. Now, we would probably have tried to soften and sweeten the message, but Jeremiah didn't do that at all. That didn't make for popularity or for safety. And if you read right the way through the book of Jeremiah, you'll see the fixes in which he found himself as a result of being obedient to God. Josiah's reform movement had had a profound impact on Israel. And it was symbolized by the clean spanking clean temple which there was there on Mount Zion, shining white in the midday sun and visible for miles to approaching pilgrims, stripped of ungodly knickknacks and rededicated to the God of Israel. But with the renewing and refurbishing of the temple, Israel's work had hardly begun, let alone been finished. Jeremiah spoke to God and saw Israel through God's eyes. He looked down on their beautiful worship, on their choreographed holiness, And then he said to them, in effect, Folks, you're a mile wide and an inch deep. Don't stop here. There's a lot more for you to do. I don't want superficial religiosity. I seek faithfulness. I seek obedience. I seek humble penitence. If you are to fulfill the mission which I give to Israel, to be my people in a needy and searching world. But what Israel did was just go on congratulating themselves for what they'd done for their temple. And all they gave back to God was what an old friend of mine described as soggy religious mush. One day, Jeremiah was standing outside the temple, and the word of the Lord was with him, and he cried out, do not trust in deceptive words, like, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord. Just because you've cleaned it out and cleaned it up, just because you've renovated it, that doesn't give you a pass when it comes to real, deep-down obedience to the Lord of hosts. If Jeremiah were in our midst this morning, he is in his book, but he speaks to us from it, he would stand in our midst and perhaps challenge us with similar words. This is why I always find Jeremiah uncomfortable company. For goodness sakes, I'm English. And from the time I was that high, I was taught good manners and not to hurt people unless I really had to and to avoid it at all costs. 
Do you know something? Southerners are exactly the same as the English in this. So I've lived in the South for 35 years. I come from England, so I, you know, I know what I'm talking about. This is what Jeremiah is perhaps saying to us, speaking to us down through the centuries. We've broken ground. Tomorrow, as you can see, if you go outside into uh, this side of, the, of the, the campus of the church, tomorrow bulldozers and backhoes are coming in followed by engineers and electricians and roofers and landscapers and the whole lot in order to build the parish life center. And in the context of that, this glorious place of worship will be even made even more glorious in the months to come. And we will be rightly excited and proud of what's going on here at St. George's. Yet that does not give us a pass from humble obedience, persistent prayer, committed discipleship, and listening to what God wants us to do with this facility that he has given to us. If you are here last week, you'll remember that the rector was preaching on Hebrews, and he ended with the words from Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3 a text which could perhaps be our compass and our guide as the holes are being dug and as the concrete is being poured. What the writer to the Hebrews said, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, both way back into the Old Testament and to this present day, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely. And let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. During this period of building, which is going to be very disruptive, let us prepare ourselves individually and as a community to pour ourselves out in love and service and generosity, looking unto Jesus, the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross for us, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen.